Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 136 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me, locked and loaded for another episode. The sun is shining, grass is green, the allergies are leaving. I'm doing a lot better. I don't know about you, Kurt. Uh, no, I've been sneezing a lot. I don't know what's happening. Maybe it's because I spent three days in Dallas and think Texas is like allergy haven. But Oh, uh, it's allergy haven. It is. It's big time. So, yeah, still feeling it, but feel a little better. We'll be grateful when the allergies leave. Hey, shout out to my people in Dallas. Did a three-day there. Had a lot of fun and got some barbecue, which you always have to. We have to talk about food. Yeah. And chicken fingers. There's this place called Raising Cane's. Awesome. Who, who knew you make chicken fingers taste really good? But uh, somebody took me there. It was really good. I'd never heard of it before. I, I knew. You I knew. knew well, thanks fingers. for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Is, <laughs> is that a, just a southern thing or is that all over the country? I've seen those uh, across the south. Yeah, I don't think I've seen them anywhere else. Huh. Well, yeah. there we go. Shout uh, out to them. Good. good eat. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing yeah. wrong with that. Well, good. So it was a three-day. Were you teaching this to a corporation or, or what? It was a corporation, about uh, 30 high-end, mid-level managers, and we had some fun talking about influence, charisma, how to influence without authority. That's the big one now because as organizations get flatter, I mean, how do you influence the CEO? How do you influence another department? Because it's easy right. when you're influenced down, right? It's like, hey, do it. Okay, boss, versus, hey, I've got this idea. Can we joint venture? Can we do this? Can I borrow someone from your team? There's no power, there's no authority, and that's been a huge topic for a lot of companies lately. Yeah, it's an era where nobody wants responsibility for anything. They want to claim credit for everything, but they don't want responsibility for anything. That's a big part of it. And so if yeah. there's any fear of a failure or going south, a lot of times you can't do it. Even though it's a great idea, it would be the best thing for the company, it never gets done. That's right. That's right. Well, good. Good. Welcome back. I was down in Orlando and... My allergies cleared up instantly when I landed down. <laughs> I bet you it was warm, nice, a little humid, felt good. Probably about the perfect time of year to go to Orlando. Yeah, yeah, it was crowded like crazy, though. I almost uh, <laughs> I almost got detained by TSA, I think. Um, my boarding pass didn't match my, my frequent flyer, or my driver's license, rather. And it's how it always is for me. I have it as Steve, and, and then it's Steven on my... Or on my driver's license, and I fly two or three times a month. Airports all over the country. This is never an, an issue. And uh, I had a long, frustrating ride to the airport in Orlando, and a lot of things went wrong. And then this TSA guy decided he was going to call me on that. The first yeah, time. how do I know what's your real name? There's an N here and nothing over here. So I know, hello. I know. And I, I kind of lost it. I have TSA pre-check, and I'm like, he's like, well, I got to check with my supervisor. I'm, I'm saying, no, you don't. You don't got to check with that. I, I don't really lose it a lot, and I'm, I'm starting to really raise my voice. And in my head, I'm having this inner monologue of, what are you yelling at TSA for? <laughs> what, what's that going to get you? When has anybody ever yelled at TSA and had TSA say, oh, you know what? Never mind. You're right. <laughs> Come on through. We made a mistake, sir. Luckily, I didn't get too crazy, but uh, the, the guy uh, pulls me aside. Hey, I could send you back to Delta right now and have you change your boarding pass. And, and uh, then he starts talking to somebody else, and I went through the metal detector. 
And I, I made a beeline for that train. I was getting out of there. <laughs> <laughs> done, uh, done. Didn't want the full cavity search, huh? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't because I, I yeah. that's my rule. I always tell everybody, don't argue with TSA. Why would you do that? And there I was yelling at TSA. Yeah, that's the problem with the government power where power shouldn't be with a lot of these people. And they use every little piece of it to show you that they have more power than you. Oh, man. Yeah, I could not believe that I fell for that, that I was yelling at those guys. But, all right. Well, that's our, our travel log about barbecue and TSA. Wouldn't be the first time that we talked about that, but we're glad to have everybody on the show. want to remind you, follow us at Influence Max. Like us on uh, Twitter or follow. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. That's do, what it is. Do something all we ask. Just do something. Yeah, seriously, people. Come on. Do something. <laughs> do something. But, uh, Definitely check us out at uh, universityofpersuasion.com. That's where you can get, in many cases, free persuasion advice on a weekly basis so that you can learn and grow and become a better persuader. If you go to universityofpersuasion.com, I'm very confident that you'll pick up one or two new techniques over the next couple of weeks or months that are going to help you close more business, that are going to help you get more influence with the people that you have to interface with on a daily basis. So go check it out at universitypersuasion.com. And in the meantime, we need Kurt to cue it up. Here comes Steve Urkel, suspenders, glasses, pocket protector, looking super geeky. The Geek Master, go Urkel. <laughs> what do you have for us, Kurt? Well, of course, as you guys have been browsing the perspectives on psychological science. Yeah, yeah. It's not actually. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. That's why we get the Urkel sound. There's this chemical that I believe we talked about about a little bit way, way back since we're, I mean, we're in episode 136. How cool is that? But the oxytocin, not oxytoxin. Is that how I say that? The drug? What's the drug? I think it's oxytocin is what I think. We might have to ask Siri. Yeah, it's oxytocin on this one, but not to be confused with the other thing. This is actually an odor, but it's a hormone that plays roles in the human body, right? It's, it's it's, It's part of our body. And so in animals... It's been demonstrated that it's part of bonding, this oxytocin, right? Uh-huh. And he calls it the trust molecule. So he did a little research, and he's in behavioral economics, and we call it the trust game, and there's two players. So they call it the trust game. The experimenter gives $30 to uh, one of the players, and the best outcome is if player one gives $10 to player two. He's given three $10 bills, and if player two then splits the money any way he wants, each player could end up with 15 but in order for this to work out, player one has to believe that player two will return at least as much as player one has invested. Bottom line is, he's given money, they need to divide them up, they have to trust each other, and that's not always the case. So they call it the trust game. So they found that this hormone, this odor, this oxy- oxytocin, affects trust. When the players were able to smell this, it increased their trust, they worked better together, the results were better. Isn't that amazing to have an aerosol can of trust? I don't know if that's a used aerosol. Can you imagine that? When someone didn't trust you or someone's trying to sell you something, you're trying to get someone to do something, you're like, well, okay. And they said, okay, I'll take three. <laughs> How cool would that be? So there were other challenges and other studies showed that uh, it caused lactating in women. It's just a minor thing for uh, those that were <laughs> breastfeeding. But other than that... Side effects. Uh, I don't think it's ready to use. Uh, hopefully, they don't really market this. I mean, this would actually be a really dangerous thing for this to kind of spray as you approach the car dealership and do things. But smells, hormones, these type of things do affect our trust levels and the way we work with people. It's just kind of a natural thing. They saw it in the animal kingdom. They saw it in humans to where 
It's one of those hormones, those things that happen that affect how we trust. And that's what we talk all the time on this show is those subconscious triggers. I like them, I don't like them, I trust them, I don't trust them, can based on a feeling, and that can come from a smell, from a hormone, from your mood, from your proxemics, how close you stand, from a gesture to a word choice, an important lesson in the world of persuasion and influence. Yeah, you finally got those persuasion roofies you've always wanted. <laughs> there it is. I'm uh, scared about the dating application here, but... <laughs> <laughs> This is fascinating and terrifying at the same time. I think it's a long way off. It's not really something you can spray in the air. I think it's something that has to be like squirted in somebody's nose. They know they're getting it. It's not just a yeah. thing that's in the air that you can do that. I mean, they might get to that point. Hopefully not. That could be a dangerous thing, but it's interesting science nonetheless. Uh, I'm told that roofies have to be put in someone's drink. I'm told. So I <laughs> doesn't stop people oh, from using it. Really? Okay. You just happen to know that. Yeah. You somebody know. told me that. Right? Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, well, we won't even follow that one. No. And, and I looked up how to pronounce it. Are you ready? Should we, should we Am see I this? close? I don't, I, I haven't, I, I'm clicking this for the first time. Right, we are go. experiencing this together. Okay. Right. Here we go. Did you hear that? Barely. Was I right? Oxytocin. Hey, I was right. There we go. Ten points for me. Ten points for you. One That's... point for you. All right. <laughs> and uh, just for the record, we have not yet established the exchange rate yeah. of the points. We're all still figuring that. We'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. So oxytocin is a chemical that makes people, makes animals trust one another uh, more quickly. It's a real thing. So if they could ever synthetically produce that and get it out there, you can bet there's a bunch of sleaze balls that are going to try to use it. Yeah, that's the concern, but good to know. Good to know. So that leads us into what we wanted to talk about today. We haven't touched on trust for a long time. We've seen this in a lot of different phases. Some people by the industry that they're in are just starting out on the negative 10-yard line when it comes to trust. And, and you have done a lot of research on this, and I, th I think it might be a good way to start this topic about what some of the most trusted professionals are. I don't expect you to have this in a holster or anything, but it's interesting to draw comparisons and, and to look at some of these professions and why they might be more trusted and why they might be less trusted. So, Kurt, what are some of the most trusted professions and what are some of the least trusted? Some of these, I think, are going to be a surprise. Others, not so much at all. <laughs> Well, disclaimer, of course, this might offend some people, but this is reality. We don't deal with offense. We don't deal with what should be right. We just deal with reality. And the reality is trust has dropped six points in the last five years. The reality is that a Gallup poll showed the majority of people feel that you can't be too careful when dealing with others. And a poll that I've done found that only 4% of people felt they could trust the salespeople or persuaders or managers that they conducted business with in the last 24 months. So, I mean, this is an issue. Now, just because you're a good, trustworthy person does not mean people trust you. That's the first thing to understand. 20 years ago, it was, I trust you, give me a reason not to. Now, it's, I don't trust you, give me a reason to trust you. Lots of reasons. Yeah, lots of reasons. Now, you mentioned a negative 10-yard line. I think that's important because just based on industry, you could have a negative 10-yard penalty just because of who you are and what you represent. And I think... It's interesting when you look at the top of the list, the most trusted profession, that ah, firefighters are always up there, right? Not Fire. police officers, because that's a love-hate relationship, ticket, robber, right? That type I of think thing. it's firefighters because, you know, you call them when you need them and they show up and they help you. 
Uh, occasionally, the police are there when you don't feel like you need them. Yeah, and firefighters aren't there to upsell you. You know, we have a special ladder sale yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> they just take care of business. And they don't write you a ticket for the fire. <laughs> they don't, or bill you. At least, right. At least I don't think they do. Maybe they do now with all the uh, things that are happening out there. Governments are pretty broke. Maybe the yeah. firefighters are going to leave an invoice now. Nurses yeah. are always more trusted than doctors. Another interesting point. And one that always shows up on the top of the list is my favorite to talk about is pharmacists are on the top of the list. You're like, wow, why the pharmacists? I mean, we've talked about white coats in the past. That when people see a white coat that they automatically think trust. Pharmacists are up on a platform. They give us drugs. They're knowledgeable. They save us money with generic brands. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons there. They're not trying to upsell us on different things. And so there's a trust level there with pharmacists. And so that's interesting. They're always on the top of the list. So then we get to the bottom of the list. I mean, there's a lot in the middle and it varies. Send us an email if you want to know where your industry ranks. But again, there's this knee-jerk reaction here. For some reason, gun salesmen. Not sure why on that one. I haven't heard that one yet. But yeah, uh, insurance sales, gun salesmen, television news, that's... That's given. Journalists all down there. Network marketers are down there. Not that it's a bad industry. It's just because a lot of people before you have blown it. Congress dropping like a rock. Any politician, whether it be president or Congress, any of those, very, very low. And of course, your two lowest, your favorite of all time. And frequently mentioned as blunders on the program, car salesmen and telemarketers. Uh, car salesmen, telemarketers, congressmen, attorneys, definitely the sludge of society. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're there, you just have to know you're starting probably on the negative 50-yard line. Yeah. You're in the stands, but hey, you can still pull it off. And that's true yeah. if you don't make a good first impression. That's true if you, we talked about mustache and facial hair for men, that could give you a five-yard penalty, but you might look good in it. I mean, there's different things you have to be aware of as far as what you're good at, what you do, and the perception out there. We just deal with reality and go with it. Yeah. So I was thinking about these as you were as you were mentioning them, and it seems to me, I want to know what you think here, the, the most trusted professions are ones where the prospect or the person that they're dealing with is there doesn't appear to be an outcome that they're going to benefit more from, right? Like the firefighter shows up, whether he puts the fire out or not, he gets paid. The pharmacist isn't going to make $10,000 more this year because he pers- he gave you X drug instead of Y drug. Whereas the other side of this, obviously these people are going to benefit more if they can convince you to do something and people are increasingly suspicious about that. That's one common theme I see here. Do you see that as well and do you see anything in addition to that that's a theme maybe feeling out of control when you look at government or congress or television news or the media people feel that they really don't have much control there one area maybe not is car sales right that should be a win-win everyone should be leaving happy it's just been done in the wrong way or telemarketers maybe they have something that you need but there have been so many people that have blown it done it the wrong way or using old skill techniques to where people aren't feeling like it's a win-win situation which is sad for the last two you should leave that car dealership excited. You got a new car, right? This is awesome. This is great. It's what you wanted. You got a good deal. But very few people actually feel that way and never go back to the same car dealership twice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. So 
what can we do about this? I mean, let, let's say you're in a profession or you might even be looking at this from the point of view of, say, a parent. And you've got a particular child that you're starting at the negative five yard line with for whatever reason. How can you start to recover from this when you're in an, in an environment where you didn't do this? This isn't stuff that you did. It's just the industry. It's just the nature of the beast. Well, the question of the day, of course, is increasing that trust. But let's talk about a few tools that you can start implementing. A lot of people think part of trust is character. And that's true, your integrity, your honesty, your sincerity. That's very, very important. But part of that, too, is understanding competence. That if you're approaching somebody and you need trust, they need to know that you're the expert. Because when they accept you as the expert, there's really very little persuasion resistance. I mean, we've talked about doctors on the show before that very little resistance. They're the doctor. They're wearing the white coat. They're the expert. Tell me what to do. Because deep down, people want to be influenced. Tell me what to do. Help me fix this. Whether you're a doctor or you're a lawyer or a manager or an expert or have a product or service that's going to solve a problem, you're the expert. And the best way to do that, to build trust, this is new research, is that in the beginning, the gushy chit-chat, let's connect, tell me about the fish on your walls, not really working. They want to know up front, you've got to teach them something new, something unique. You've got to wow them like, wow, I've never thought about that. Or I haven't heard of that researcher. Wow, that's an interesting solution. Now, all of a sudden, you're competent. You're the expert. That makes a huge difference. But you have to have competence. Now, the challenge is competence can be real or perceived. You could be the smartest person in the room, but if the perception's not there or you come in and you're all frazzled or you're rushed or your office is a mess, yeah, that matters. You've got to be competent. You've got to have a good personal development program, but you've got to wow them in that first part of that presentation, the first time you meet them, that you know something they don't. You have something that can solve their problem. Now, all of a sudden, resistance goes down. You become the expert, and you have more trust. Okay, okay. So becoming the expert, creating that perceived competence is one way, one way. And I, I think that that's... That's certainly helpful when when the core of the lack of trust is, you know, can this person really help me? Are they just in it for the money? But I've known plenty of people that are very competent. In fact, you and I know some of these same people, very competent, but they're just the greasiest, least trustworthy people ever. How do we descend beyond just comp or how do we go beyond just competence here? <laughs> Get it's a perception, right? I'd mentioned messy office. We know with lawyers and studies, when they come into the courtroom and the jury's watching, they're all flustered and briefcases all messy and throwing papers around. You've got to come in in a calm demeanor. Your presence, how you walk, how you look, how you dress. Well, Kurt, that shouldn't be an issue. Well, too bad it is, right? There's the subconscious things that are happening, right? You could also do things that uh, doctors do. They have their degree on the wall, your professional standing. Have you been published? You can look at referrals, endorsements, your external surroundings. I mean, what does your conference room look like? What does your car look like? Well, people shouldn't judge you on your car. Well, okay, true, but they do. So if you don't have a great car, maybe you need to park it in the back 40 and just walk and not let them know what you're driving. I've been there. I've done that before, right? And so those are the external things that matter, but really your demeanor, how you come across, how you're speaking can really trigger trust or distrust on the competent side. Yeah, so they're always watching that, how you come on the scene that, that sets the stage for the, the perceived competence down the line. Yeah, and I like to tell people to look. You're the expert. Chances are you know more than 99% of the people in the world about your topic, about your subject, about your product, about your service, whatever it is. Start acting like it, 
right? Yeah, <laughs> Start true. acting like it. You're the expert here, especially with entrepreneurs. Well, you know, no, you're the expert. Act like it. Now, I'm not asking you to be condescending here, but you're the expert here. You are there to solve their problems. Start acting like it in a confident way. Yeah, yeah. Don't always assume that the prospect knows something that you don't, and they're asking something to lead you along to see how much you know or how much you don't know. You you know more than them, and there's nothing wrong with saying, you know what, I think the answer is this, but let me confirm on that for you. Let me confirm on that. Because actually, somebody who is competent and really knows what they're talking about isn't afraid to say they don't know something, because they really do know the subject matter, and the question was something that they just don't deal with a lot. But they're confident that they can get the answer, and that... Uh, they're going to be able to understand it and express it to you. I think a competent person isn't afraid to say that they don't know. What do you think? Mm, I got two views on that one. I agree, first of all, to where there are times where you need to say, I don't know. Let me, right? And that's okay if it's way out there. But here's the challenge. If they ask you a question and they expect you to know the answer and you don't, that could cause some trust issues. Uh-huh. Now, I'm not asking anybody to lie and make things up because we've seen too many persuaders do that, and it hurts the long-term relationship, and it hurts the trust. But there are ways, especially in group settings, where if somebody asks you a question, you can handle it in a way to where it doesn't hurt your trust. For example, they might ask you a question. You say, what? Interesting. Let's uh, uh, see what the group thinks, right? Give you some, tell some time to think. That's one way. Or have them repeat it. Give yourself time to think. Or say, you know, let's take this off course a little bit. Let me talk to you on the break. And I'll discuss that with you. And at the break, you can say, I don't know. <laughs> but that's with one person versus the whole group. Or you could say, I'll send you some information. Let me get your email because that would take a long time to explain and we'd be here a lot longer. And people understand that. You didn't say you didn't know. You can do your research. At times, you could say, let me get with my staff on that to make sure we're going in the right direction. Let me do a little more research. There are things you can say versus, I don't know, yeah. by yourself sometimes. So I think it depends on the situation and who you're working with. If they expect you to know the answer, you've got to be very careful on how you handle that because that could hurt your trust. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, there's some things that are, are just so obvious that, yeah, you are going to be perceived as a moron if you don't know them. <laughs> and I think a lot of what you're saying, too, is, well, there's a difference between saying, oh, gee, I don't know, and... Well, that's a good question. It's not something we hear a lot about on that. I'm going to confirm with my staff uh, because that that's something we need to be very, very precise on, right? That's yeah. Let me confirm with way. it. I know it's the I know the 2,000 blank numbers, but let's look at this. See if there's a more recent study. Yeah, it could be very helpful. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well, we're going to do next week's show uh, second series on trust too. So we're not done here. It's not just about the competence and I don't know and that kind of thing. There's there's other factors that we need to be aware of here as persuaders. But in the meantime, we need cure, uh, we need Kurt to cue up the blunder. Oh, Homer, our friend, go! Don't, don't, don't! Yeah, here's Homer, and, uh, you know, every now and then we like to feature ourselves on this. And uh, I think a few weeks ago I was the blunder for not posting the podcast. Uh, That's yeah. a problem. Yeah, that is gotta, a problem. Yeah. Gotta post the podcast. You can't listen to the podcast <laughs> if the podcast's not posted. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's profound words, Kurt. That <laughs> is profound. Yeah. Just realize that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> thanks. Now, thanks for the advice, but I understand you're in the need, you're in need of some advice here. Yeah, I am the blunder. I am the Homer. This is something I knew. I know. I had to relearn, and that's part of the process. A lot of people learn the tools of persuasion and say, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh I've heard that before. Yeah, are oh, you doing it? <laughs> that doesn't matter if you've heard it before. 
So I'm teaching this three-day in Dallas, and three days is a lot of exercises. We're getting in-depth. We're taking questions. I mean, mentally, it's taxing not only for me, but maybe even more for the attendees. And the company had set up breaks and the lunch and snacks at certain times and different things, and this person raised his hand. It was about 30 minutes before we needed to take a break. He says, can we take a break now? I said, well, no. Your company is scheduled to take a break here in 30 minutes. So I turfed it was to the company, and he could see he was kind of flustered and didn't like the answer, and I moved on because I had information to cover, and we had certain breaks. And as I looked over the evaluations, I had all five stars from everyone in that room, five-star rating, right? Five out of five stars, and he gave me a three. <laughs> like, really? How the only thing I could think you. of was this interaction, this moment to where when you deliver bad news, or put someone in a bad mood, or someone feels like you didn't take what they wanted seriously, that could affect their trust of you, how much they like you, their evaluations of you, you have to be careful. And again, that shouldn't be an issue, but it is, especially in a group setting. They raised their hand, they didn't get what they wanted, and the best way to handle this when you're dealing with bad news or groups, and, and I knew this, I just didn't take the time to do it. I said, well, sh- well, sure, let's let's look at that. Class, what do you think? Let's take a vote and take a look. We're scheduled at this time. You know, I'm flexible here. I'll do what you want to do type of thing versus just muscling through it. And uh, I would say nine times out of ten, the whole class will vote to wait the 30 minutes, but it's the class that voted. Now I don't have to have him give me all his negative energy because it's my fault. Now it's the class's fault. And it's such an easy thing to do. I didn't do it, and I missed out on two stars because I wasn't willing to take the time to do it the right way. Blunder for me. Blunder for Kurt. You know, even when the bad news is nobody's fault, somebody's got to take the heat for it. That's right. <laughs> and That's it was right. you in this case. That's why weathermen get death threats, which That's is actually true. That's exactly right. <laughs> Bear of bad news, and that's uh, how people react. So be very careful on how you do that. Weathermen, and you know who I feel really bad for? I think this has to be the bottom of the totem pole at the airlines, or the people who have to work the baggage desk outside of baggage claim. You mean that's, for lost luggage? Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> you're being punished or you're new. I mean, you didn't do that. You didn't misplace the bag in Miami, <laughs> but you are going to get it. <laughs> you're going to take the heat for it, so yeah. look out. They better get paid more. I mean. <laughs> Hopefully they're well-trained dealing with emotions and negativity, like good customer service departments, but that's right. Yeah, that that's a tough racket. All right, well. Everybody, thanks again for listening to the show. That was episode 136 of Maximize Your Influence, and we're going to catch you next week on another episode. Take care, persuade with power, and see you next week.